Hello, everybody. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the one and only podcast on the net dedicated 88.2% to the greatest game in the world. Advanced squad leader. That's right, boys and girls. And I'm Jeff, and that's Dave. We are fat and happy after a... We, oh, well, Jeff, you are not fat. Well, I'm happy. <laughs> after your Thanksgiving? Yeah, actually, it's been a week since Thanksgiving or something, maybe a little bit longer, And uh, but I had a good one. Did you have a good one, Dave? Yes, yes, indeed, in Ohio. I think it should be a an, an international holiday, really. It, it should be. Yeah, like Christmas. I think there there's no reason for it to only be uh, U.S. But when I become king, that's what I'm going to get done. <laughs> Important stuff like that. So what's new with you? Well, we had the van in for brake work. Uh-oh. Which I let go a little too long. They did the calipers, but then the cylinder like ran out of. How'd you know it was too long? Did you run into somebody? <laughs> They were not working well. Yeah, and I, well, that's not good. Yeah, I should have been a little more aggressive about this is definitely wrong. But funny story. So I went in to pick it up, got the key. Lady behind the desk, you know, talk a little bit. Okay, see ya. I an, Another couple comes up and they're talking to her about their car. And... I look outside to get the, my van and I got blocked in because they have three spaces and I was in the middle. So I went back into the store and I kind of, the two people were finishing telling her about their vehicle. And I was like, oh, I, it, I'm locked, I'm blocked in. Yeah. And then uh, she finishes with them and she goes, Dave, what's behind you? And I, what she meant, like literally, <laughs> I looked. I looked behind me, like, what is behind me? <laughs> like a spider, or a... <laughs> and she just started laughing, and I, and the, pe- the other couple were like, "What's going on?" And I was laughing, she was laughing, and then I'm like, "Oh, you mean what's behind my van?" <laughs> of course, and I walked out, came back, a blue Toyota. Okay, I got I got the key. We'll move it. Ah. <laughs> What's behind you? Yeah. Oh. Huh? <laughs> and then Don stayed with us, Laura's dad, and his buddy called him, who can talk a lot, and without mentioning names. Um, not that it's bad or anything, but it it was hilarious. Well, you don't, have to ma- don't mention his first name; just mention his last name. There yeah. we go. His friend called, Don puts everything on the speakerphone, you know, because he's 80. It's hard to hear. And Laura and I are sitting on the couch to, you know, to we mute the television while he talks. And and the guy's going, oh, you know, remember when we went shopping with our wives and we went shopping for something that's very elegant? Remember? And Laura's dad's going, uh, no. Uh, we shopped for something you wouldn't. We normally wouldn't buy. Yeah, you wear it. You wear it in the winter. And you remember that? And he's like, no. <laughs> and so I start going, um, a, a hat. A, and Laura's dad's a hat. He's like, no, no. You'd wear it on your body. And I'm like, a coat. 
And Laura's dead. Is it a coat? He goes, yeah, it's right. Remember, we were shopping with our wives and we're looking for a coat. Now, you know what kind of coat we were looking for, right? It's an extra warm, very expensive coat. <laughs> and Laura's dead on. Uh, no. And I'm like, um, insulated coat. <laughs> and I'm like, fur coat. Oh, fur coat? Yeah, yeah, right. Remember, we were shopping for the fur coats with our wives. We never would have bought them. They're too expensive. But now there's a certain kind of fur coat. <laughs> it's, a, it's an animal, which very expensive. Do you know? And he's going, no. <laughs> and Laura and I are looking at each other like, this is too adorable. Yeah. Right? And so then I'm going like, fox. A fox coat? No, no, no. It's more like a darker colored animal. This literally, Jeff. Oh my god! It was delightful. And then it's mink. <laughs> so then he says, "Well, you won't believe what happened here in Ohio. Those people who are for nature broke into the mink farm and released a bunch of animals. Can you guess how many?" <laughs> Don's like. A hundred? Like, no. Oh no, Don. Many more. I'll go uh, five hundred? No, you won't believe this number. And it was twenty Jeff, I think it was twenty thousand. Really? And I can the next day it came up in my newsfeed. Wow. It was like twenty thousand mink. And they're you know, they're predators. And so that Well, how would I know I, that? <laughs> Haven't you been attacked by a, a man? I have. It's it's rare. I guess it's more rare than I even know. They're predators. I didn't know that. Well, they, yeah, they eat uh, fish, other animals, birds, eggs. Oh, wow. All that. <laughs> well, they should be killed then and turned into coats. <laughs> they deserve it. So people were worried about their chicken coops. Yeah. And they said half of them stayed like on the farm. Oh, wandering around. So they could sweep them up. They get a scoop, that big scoop like they used in Soylent Green. The truck <laughs> comes up and scoops them up. That's what Laura said. Like, how do they catch them all? <laughs> yeah. It's like traps. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know how you attract a, a mink. But yeah, I don't know. Crazy, though. Yeah. Kind of like to see that, wouldn't you? See all those animals running around? I don't know. I don't. Maybe from a helicopter, if they're <laughs> predators. Well, I think you could like kick them if they come close to you. <laughs> I don't know. That seems mean. Get a broom. Get away from me. <laughs> so anyway, it was delightful. Well, it sounds like uh, old age is a good thing. It, yeah. Yeah. I'm not subscribing to that, but uh, I'm going to stay young. Forever young. So we have a show. We do. We've been playing some, uh, or we've got some t ASL topics to talk about. Mm -hmm. For instance, what's in the box? What is in the box, Jack? Well, it's an, uh, it's a issue, a issue of Dispatches from the Bunker, number 53. 
Yes, 53. Because last time or earlier you did 54. Yeah. Well, we also got 53 to look at briefly, relatively briefly. And you find the usual front page and the kinds of background you talked about before, Jeff, with what was going on at the time. Contest, um, tournaments. Yeah, tournaments going on. Right. Table kind of, of Kind of bantery, cozy, bantery, newsy kind yeah. of stuff. It's really yeah. fun to read. It's a, it's a really good magazine. Really enjoy it. Yeah, the local stuff going on. Yeah. Pictures of the trophies made by Joe Leosi that oh, we interviewed him. Love those. Leochi. Tussle in the Tundra. And the scenarios. This one is called East Front Series Number 10, Below That Bridge by Stephen Swan. We interviewed him, too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it talk, it's taking place in 1943 uh, by the rail line in Russia, I'm thinking. Bryansk-Gomel rail line. The background, during February, they successfully damaged or destroyed 12 bridges behind the 16th Army. And in March, in the Bryansk area, on orders from Soviet central staff, attacked five bridges in force, four of them important ones, and it successfully blew up three bridges. And so then this action is taking place at one of those bridges. It's on board 6A, which is an interesting giant river board that I have not played on yet. I don't think so. Hmm. And you put the railroad across, railroad bridge, uh, overlay railroad one and two. Forces are a kind of standard partisan 337s. There's about 10, a couple of the first lines, but four DCs. So the goal here is to blow up the bridge. Yeah, which I always love those. <laughs> And are there special scenario rules like the um, the way they set up the DCs and how close they have to be to the DCs and stuff like that? They had that in the in the previous issue. No. Okay. Yep. Very simple, straight up game. Okay. So I guess you use the regular rules for um, destroying it. And the Germans are defending second line conscripts. Eight of those squads. The usual little machine guns and uh, one mortar. Mm-hmm. So, looks good. Fun. Next one is France 1940, series number three. Vince Luansky is the designer. France 1940, Rommel's invaded. The Queen's own Cameron Highlanders are pictured here on this scenario card. And they it notes were the last regular British infantry unit to wear kilts into battle. Ah, I'd like to see that. I thought you'd like that. I would. (laughs) They attacked and routed Battalion Kramer, chasing them back across the canal. And so this battle takes place across the river on board 40, and then board 46 is in there, some overlays. And to... uh, to win, the Allies have to have a number of firepower put onto a hex there across the river. Nice color pictures of the tanks 
I like those in this. And the special rules you would place a pontoon bridge counters across the river. And okay. Entry of a pontoon bridge hex costs a quarter of the movement of a tank. So that's kind of the special stuff there. And this is in France, early war. Yes. Okay. So the tanks are, you get the Samoa things and the light tanks for the French. Germans have Panzer three and four, looks like. The next one, Battle of the Bulge series number three. Happening in Belgium, December 17, 1944. Apparently, Piper was low on fuel and he was getting some refilling from American supplies that he captured. And then doing this look to find another way to, to kind of move. It's taking place on board 9B. And Americans to get an immediate victory with 35 casualty victory points, but the Germans win otherwise by controlling all the buildings in this area. It's five and a half turns. Americans have two tank destroyers, the M10s, and the SS are the German troops. Panzer IVs, and three SPW2511s. One of the M10 American uh, tank destroyers can set up using HIP. Nice, nice little straight up fight. Mm -hmm. Last one is a three player game, Jeff. Oh, rare. Yes. And welcome when they appear. Indeed. So who's this? Tom Morin designed this. It's called mm -hmm. One War's End. It was taking place in China. In 1945, the victory conditions are listed down below. And the three groups are American Chinese bandits and then red Chinese. Hmm. And I think the Chinese bandits use the regular Chinese counters. The ban uh, red Chinese use the brown, you know, Chinese communist partisan mm -hmm. counters. Okay. And the American is a Chinese second commando, an OSS operational group detachment, which I don't know much about. Gotta look it up. Yeah. Uh, Tom found an interesting action here. The Chinese warlord bandits enter turn one in an area. So do the Chinese, a different area. So do the Americans. So everyone's entering from three different directions. The troops are kind of comp similar, around six to ten squads and DCs, mortars, the light support weapons for each group. And then these, I think the only thing to look at special here is the Americans earn double exit victory points for good order units and normal EVP for good or that's for exited off the west edge and normal exit victory points for units in a certain area at game end. While the Chinese bandits and red Chinese both get combat victory points for Americans 
and non-malfunctioned American support weapons would be worth uh, exit victory points or combat victory points equal to the support weapons um, rate of fire, kind of, right? And CVP for prisoners and captioned support weapons are not worth double. Um, and then there's special stuff about, you know, was there equidistant to this side, that side, they surrender, how you handle all that. So that's a good three-player game. Okay. And the real meat of these things is this Carl. What's his last name, Jim? Uh, Noguera. Yes. You like how I did that? Yes. I did. So he's got an excellent tactical article, which again makes me feel very dumb. Hiding in place site, concealment in ASL part two. Mm. What he's talking about here is having an enemy concealed. How he in a game in a tournament move to draw fire, make him drop his concealment, all these normal things that I might think of. And one thing I was reminded of is when you enter a concealed stack, I think lately I've been revealing the whole stack. It's random selection to see which yeah. squad in that stack has to reveal. The others can stay concealed. So the hope is you, your opponent would roll, he calls it Yahtzee, right? Yeah. Both the same number. Yeah. And all be revealed. But he says, it, I'll read this part. At this point, I... I ended his move and left him there. This is a counter on the board. As a This is the guy he ran up the street to try to draw fire. He points out the correct move, the lack of which cost me the game, was to then search. Remember how we were searching in the Pacific? Oh, yes. For the Japanese? Yes. He's saying, move into the road next to the enemy. If they don't reveal to fire at you, spend the point to search. Ah, I never uh, would think of that. I never would think of that either. I always just think it's something that's used in the jungle to locate hip units. Yes, hidden. But it can also then yeah. turn this up. Okay. So there are risks he talks about taking casualties for the search casualty role. I mean, this is one of my problems with, with this whole thing of, of <laughs> <laughs> with hip units and drawing fire. Because I do it all the time, and I always feel dumb doing it. Because really, as a squad leader, am I going to send somebody out, run down the street? Okay, you guys go run down the street. Well, well, well how come? Well, we're trying to draw the enemy fire <laughs> using you. Here's yeah, some could, shields. Yeah, could we? Yeah. Can we opt out for of this, uh, Sarge? <laughs> you know, it just seems like a just a nasty way to do it but I, I but in real life i mean are there other ways to do it i don't know yeah you know anytime you're walking down the street in enemy territory yeah so anyway this is a great idea that i have to try and remember to use i think we'll remember that and then there's mopping up part on this next page he talks about this tactic, I used to do it some, but it gets into these fine details about 
if there's well, let me see this is to gain control of buildings not locations so if a victory condition calls for control of buildings this tool is of tremendous value mopping up yes yeah the building it's also of great value when an opponent has broken units hiding in the building and you want to scoop them up as prisoners while taking control of the building yeah all mopping up okay because they yep. have to then surrender and then he points out that the rule says this unit has to be within two hexes of every ground level but it's locations of that building which is not controlled by that side so if you've already controlled some of the hexes in the building they don't count in that two hex range oh okay which it's a, a little he points out these little yeah words in the rule that i think i would play it that way but yeah and how often do you do you even have control of the building partly when yeah. you use mopping up right but it, it's true um, and then there's talks about the search casualties and then the results of the possible results of all this. And there's different reactions for hip units versus concealed units. And he goes into great detail explaining that for mop up. And he's not done. So you get more. There are certain types of terrain that allow for concealment to be kept. And he talks while well, moving, non-assault movement in line of sight, trenches, bocage. He goes into some great examples of that. Mm -hmm. And then looks at even more cases where concealment, do you drop it or do you keep it? To routing units, of course, things like that. But there's even more gems in here. Um, he points out that sometimes you want to drop concealment when a person's routing because then you're forcing them to take interdiction. Right. And if they're adjacent to an enemy, that makes them surrender to that unit. So it's more valuable to drop concealment and take that guy prisoner and other cases like that. So great, great work. That's worth the price of the magazine right there. Very much worth it. Dispatches from the bunker. Big provost doing a good job. What else do we have? Well, we the box, 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 box. We do have something in the box today. The box. A very nice toy, a prize. Well, covered, which is a scenario pack from Broken Ground Design. Ooh. And they have been a um, sponsor yes, in the past. Sponsor. And we still love them. So this is 13 scenarios. This comes with the, the 13 scenarios plus a board. And the reason why they call this covered is because it uses lots of overlays. In fact, not so many that you wouldn't want to set up the game. No. No, but if you're, you know, if your overlays are feeling left out, unappreciated, unloved, then you're going to want to get this scenario pack. It comes with a nice board, which is called BG1, which is, I guess, stands for Broken Ground 1. Oh, can you pull it back a bit? So, uh, yes, for those people watching, not watching, oh, it's a board. <laughs> and it has the best art for a lumberyard I think I've ever seen. 
Oh, it's a very nice lumber yard. Yes, you're right. So yeah, there's lumber yards and wooden buildings, a couple of stone buildings, uh, road, uh, some grain. You know, just an just an interesting flat board. But and like I say, this board is used in all 13 scenarios that come in this pack, and you put just depending on scenario, different overlays on this. And then there are other boards utilized too. So if you're going to play all these, you're going to need boards uh, 3, 16, 18, 56, 57, 58, 70, and 85. And I'm sure there's lots of people out there that hear me rattle that off and think, yes, I've got all those. Or, oh, gee, I'm missing one. Plus and all these overlays, which I won't read them all, but it no. does take a lot of overlays. So if this is your first foray into advanced squad leader, this is probably not the pack for you, For but for those uh, others of you that have played many times and have all the stuff, this would be a I great the overlays. Set. Yeah. And that's what makes that board different in each scenario. Yes. And Dave Timmon and I play tested two of these scenarios. Oh, okay. So we're listed in there. So we're famous. But we can say the boards had a different feel, you know, each time. Yeah. Because of those changes. It was really good. So there's a couple scenarios. I'm just looking at them here, and this is my first look at this. There's a couple scenarios from 1920, which is. Well, I'm going to do those... a deep dive on those. Oh, you are? Okay, great. Should All we right. go to the tape? Yeah, let's do. All right. Over to me. <laughs> yes, sir. We are taking a look at Covered, the scenario pack from Broken Ground Design. This pack is uh, brand new, hot off the presses. And it has got a, I'm going to take a look at some of the scenarios in a little more detail. Scenario uh, BG1, a new kind of cavalry, takes place in Radzim, Radzimin, Poland, August 1920. So this is the um, Russian Civil War stuff going on here. The Bolsheviks against the Poles and the victory conditions. Poles win if they can get two armor-fighting vehicles function with functioning main armament off the north edge. So of the board, board is laid horizontally. It's half a board. It's five and a half turns. And the Bolsheviks are defending with nine squads of from conscripts to one elite. And uh, machine guns now for all these games here with this Russian Civil War, you have the rule G1.611 in effect for both sides. I'm assuming that is the machine guns have to be manned with the crews because there are a machine gun or two on both sides and a cruiser there too in equal quantities. And then the poles come in with 11 squads and five of those FT-7-17 tanks, those like World War One early tanks you know here's a little picture you know love that little thing i think there's one of these at cantini park in illinois if you ever get a chance to go there and take a look at that and so this scenario um couple of open ground overlays there's no assault firing russian early war doctrine applies and then they have an interesting rule special rule four that a good order squad, half squad, cannot expend movement factors in more than one location during the movement phase unless either accompanied by a single man counter or by first passing a restricted infantry movement test check. 
and even if it fails the RIMTC, restricted movement check, it may still use assault movement. Uh, double time is not applicable for any squads unaccompanied by a single man counter. So that makes it a little bit different. That's EG1, new kind of cavalry. Beautiful color scenario card. BG2 is First Horse Army, designed by Alan Finlay. And that is also in Poland, August 1920, with the Red Army retreating after the Battle of the Warsaw which Bridge, which was, I think, the BG1. And it is, again, Bolsheviks, so it's got them have some of the similar rules. Victory conditions. Bolshevik win if at least six mounted squads or equivalents exit off the south edge. And both of these little army groups have about 17, 18 squads, about equal leaders, and cavalry. Both forces are fully cavalry mounted and entering on turn one on the north and one on the south. And so that, I don't recall a whole lot of scenarios with two cab forces in them. And put up note in the comment section if you could think of some more. Um, so a couple open ground and uh, grain overlays added. It's two boards, board 16, broken ground design board one. Comes with this pack. And... Treat the woods as brush and buildings wooden and treat it as huts. So this is out backwoods somewhere for the back open ground <laughs> grain area somewhere. Uh, at game end, the exit victory conditions are increased by one squad for each Bolshevik squad that is dismounted, broken, captured, or eliminated. And exit victory conditions are decreased by a squad for each Polish squad that's dismounted, broken, captured, or eliminated. So if you think about that, so what that makes you want to do is if you are the Bolshevik, you want to stay mounted and you want to stay alive, of course. And if you are and you also want to then eliminate because you could decrease the exit victory conditions by dismounting, breaking, or capturing the or eliminating the poles. So um, I think that rule is designed to keep everyone mounted and and have this be some kind of nice, fun little chase game. And another rule that's interesting is the um, everyone's elite all. MMC are considered elite and become fanatic if battle-hardened. So the Bolshevik 9-0 leader is a commissar. I guess you want to get back on your horses to, if you can at any time during the game before the end of the game, modify those exit conditions for the Bolsheviks. So it also says in the aftermath here that the Battle of Kumarol was the last grand cavalry versus cavalry battle in European history. Broken Ground Scenario 3, designed by Pete Schelling, is uh, Ebro Tide. Now, this one, Dave Tim and I play tested it a lot. It takes It's the um, Spanish Civil War, 1938, and the Nationalists 
and Republicans, the nationalists. Well, here's the victory condition. Provided no heads of the Republican setup area is occupied by a good order nationalist multi-band counter, the Republican wins immediately upon scoring 20 victory points by gaining a bunch of buildings, exit victory points for exiting the South Edge, CBP for prisoners captured equipment, prisoners and captured equipment. So they want to get prisoners and controlling a building 18 over lazy two, that's five minutes. And is marked those on the map. You can see the buildings you need to get. There's this little town section in one part, there's a river, and then the Republicans have us 10 squads or so on this side of the river toward the nationalists and the 12 unit squads coming on across the river. There is, by special rule, a Republican player can specify two adjacent river hexes as being fordable by a fording line. It's rule E6.6. Woods are light woods. I remember this frustrating me many times during the game. Um, of course, you use the Russian counters for the blah, blah, blah. Um, a lot of options, a lot, a lot of options in this thing. More special rules in the back. And I know one play test. I remember like my forces I set up. In the, well, the Nationalists can get five guys that um, set up on or east of row T and south of the river. So they're over toward the city. And then the Hill Hexes get three squads and they got overrun real easy with a big mortar. So don't set up too far forward. You want to maybe set up further back and then seven squads entering on turn three on the South edge, trying to cut off people leaving. So with all that going on, it's a lot of variety of stuff. And I remember one game, I, I was, my guys defending the river crossing and the initial troops got blown out and then it was bad all the way down. And then Another one, we had a, trying to infiltrate the little city on the board up near the river, about center of board, BG1, um, and board 18. Oh, well, BG1, 18 is a bunch of hills, so you got all this line of sight stuff going on and ways to run around and try not to be seen. So this one's going to just be a lot of fun, a lot of replayability for you also on BG3, Ebro Tide. Picture of the guys on the footbridge. EG4, designed by Robert Hammond, is a wild, irregular gunfight. And yes, it is, boys and girls. Uh, Dave and I also play tested this one, which has half a board 85 and BG1 in this. And it's taking place September 1939 in Poland. And you have some. SS troops of various quality coming on board to win, okay? The Germans can't suffer 16 CVP, and they also earn need to earn 12 or more victory points with one and a half being for each multi-hex building, with one point for each one in a certain row, and then one victory point for each AC, armored car, um, with a functioning main, arm, main armament exited from hex 85Y1 on turn five and a half point for ACs exited from that hex on turn six. 
So there's a timing issue here. If no AC is exited, the German player suffers a neg one penalty. So that's complicated. Um, victory condition, one of Jeff's favorite type, but it's it, it helps make it a wilder regular gunfight as the title of the scenario says. So I recommend it highly. Dave and I had a blast with this one. Um, there are some regular German squads mixed in with the SS ones and these little armored cars with CMGs and then one has a 20 L and then the special rules going into this were Polish player may use Polish partisan counts, concealment counters freely. And there's they um, there's really like some rows of buildings, I remember, as the Germans are coming in. So you, you got some different options of defending from the um, Saul fire, the Polish elite have their broken round, level increased by, increased by one, partisan, you know, some normal rules for partisans, but, um, and there's some rules for the Germans have an ELR of four, but SS multi-man counters still have an underlying morale level. German second line are not SS, but are green, so that's that mix of the German troops coming in. But there's this really neat part with the Polish reinforcements. There's a draw pile of six cards, literal playing cards, and two are red and six are black. And at the end of each Polish movement phase, the Polish player draws two cards from the draw pile. And each black card drawn, they receive partisan reinforcements. Units are immediately placed on board in a randomly determined building location free of armed German personnel, making it, again, a wild, irregular gunfight. Um, for each red card drawn, no reinforcements. In either case, the drawn card is removed from play. And so then you can see on the counter artworks, they show you the, the cards and then the types of little squad you get, half squad, leader, to join the wild irregular gunfights. And great replayability on that scenario also. Tight game, six and a half turns. And ground design number five, Frostat Frolic. This one's designed by Alan Finlay. It is a six and a half turn romper with the Germans in 1939 and the Poles, September 1939. And the victory would go to the Poles if they control four of six stone buildings within three hexes of 56 feet four. And the Poles have at least eight combat victory points in prisoners. So interesting that we just did some shows on prisoners and now a bunch of scenarios are giving you points for getting them directly, not counted as double at the end. So... You have to get the prisoners to win this one. Uh, you have a garrison that sets up around on board 56. Uh, multi, uh, there's eight Germans here. And then this five others that set up for those guys. And then a reinforcement group on turn one from the West Edge with the motorcycles and one motorcycle counter with the sidecars.
those four squads come on there on the west. And this is, again, BG Board 1 and 56. And then the poles set up um, on hexes numbered greater than four and greater than two hexes away from all the German units that are already set up first. And that's 11 first line and two medium machine guns. And then entering turn one are four squads at Takzanka and four cavalry units. And then entering on turn two, you get these little vehicles, these TK, is it fives or TKSs? TK5s, I think. And they um, enter on the south edge there. He's got them in the picture, too. See if we get that there, those cute little armor fighting vehicles. Special scenario rules, you can only have two squads in each building for stacking limits. German conscripts and second lines are lax. So that'll help with capturing the prisoners, I suppose. BG5, Rostat Frolic. Broken ground number six. Last hurrah, also designed by Alan Finlay. And this one's a, a little action, five turns. German set up first poles, move first board, broken ground one and board 70, which is interestingly laid over board BG1 in this configuration. Laid board 70 on top of one where hex row A of board 70 covers the northern half of hex row Q of board one. And then the uh, victory conditions, Germans need to transport two of these infantry guns towed by wagons. They have to be towed off the board through XI-10 on board 70 on the roadway. And, and about seven squads and some support weapons, just machine guns to pull that off. And the wagons cannot gallop, so I think that's probably going to designed to help keep the infantry moving along with them that rate. And then there's a setup um, on the south of V where the defense, the um, six Polish squads, a couple light machine guns, and, and then elements of the Edward Cavalry Brigade set up mounted south of Hexrow X as five squads on horses and giving you some mobility in that scenario. EG7, Suxy Raiders, Riders, S-U-X-Y, Riders, designed by Steve Swan, that little beauty. Day is taking place in Belgium, 1940 May, and it's the French defending, trying to hold some buildings because the Germans win game end by controlling E3 and K2, while having four or more mobile SPW Two five one ones, and they have six of them to start. They enter all armored, riding on the, as passengers, um, a mortar, a radio. So you're going to get a hundred millimeter OBA for the Germans to start pounding those French. The French are going to roll a secret die roll uh, to start the game. One two, they get uh, two of the H thirty five tanks. 
to five, they get a AMD 35, two of those. Six, seven, they get a couple squads and a light machine gun. Eight, nine, they get a ATR, 10, 11, 12, they get an AT gun uh, with the three rate of fire, 25 LL gun with the crews for those in ATR. Um, the initial force has one of those anti-tank guns also. So the Germans rolling also secret pre-game die roll and enter on the north edge with either two Stugs or if they roll different, they can get a Panzer 35T, two of those, or if they roll a 9 to 12, the PSW 222, two of those. Entering on turn three, the Stugs would come on turn one. So it would depend what you're rolling as to when they're going to come on. Plus, then you can pick either an AT gun or an infantry gun to start off the game. So, uh, special rules, fields are plowed and muddy. So any vehicle entering a grain hex checks for bog as if it's mud. Out. Yep. And the French also have the rule with the um, crews. Well, oh no, this is G1.611. Which threw me for a little moment because I didn't see any medium machine guns, heavy machine guns in the OP. But there's the ATR, so that would have to be crewed by the crew. Um, that counts for that rule, G1.611. G9, going out of order. I'll go back and do eight. Testing mine and knockers by Brian Martusis. Um, we interviewed him. We interviewed everybody who designed the scenario. Steve Swan. Alan, Pete, over the years. Wow, what an honor. Um, this is in Belarusia, July 5th, 1943. Partisans. The German wins by having no good order partisan multi-man counter within three hexes of hex H2. There's a railroad on board BG1. I'm going to add the overlay to run along the line there. Uh, special rules partisans have ammo shortage and rule A21.11 and A21.12 are not in effect, which is the rule about the lower rate of fire for captured weapons and the rule about the uh, plus two to hit. If you have a gun, there are guns here, but also then that the ammo shortage would not apply to a captured weapon. Now, if that's not in effect, then I suppose it would still. Partisans, 16 squads, six and a half turns, a couple of crews, some German weaponry in there, along with some Russian weaponry in there, a couple mortars holding off, 12 second-line German troops, the Polize Armored Company, an SS Polize Regiment too, and despite the name SS, they're not SS troops in this game, but they got two. Panzer two Fs or one Fs and three. I don't know what those are. ADGZs. They must have been presented in the broken ground stuff or somewhere. I'll find them. They're going to enter anywhere on turn one on the north or east side, converging against the SS 
fighting off the partisans to anti-tank weapons, and they have an abandoned tank found in working condition long after the retreat in 41, which had been hidden by being buried underground and dug up, cleaned off, and pressed into action. So it says the aftermath. Very cool. Panzer 1Fs were called mine knockers or mine crackers due to their added armor. And they helped retake this now ruined railroad station, which is the hex there. Uh, get to clear the good order partisans within three of hex H2. Broken ground eight, scenario eight, Germans in German, G-A-T-R-M-A-N, in Bessarabia, July 1941. And you take the river and lay it onto board PG-1, and these cards show you the playing area. This side of the river is not in play. And it's through this hex, so now they lighten out the areas not in play for you. Board 57 also. Germans have 12 squads, medium, lights, ATR, and an anti-tank battalion setting up anywhere on board 57. The others set up on BG-1, eight hexes within a certain area. And they need to defend um, the buildings and points. So to win, the Russian has to come in and control all buildings in that playing area and or earn more CVP than the German. The German player earns CVP for each good order unit exited off the south edge of the plane area after turn two. So the Germans can try to escape. The Russians are coming on the north and or east side with 18 units, conscripts and first lines, and a mechanized core entering turn one on the north edge with half their movement points for the first turn. Three BT-7s, two BA-20s, and then a BA-6. So that's a lot of stuff to cut them, the Germans off as they try to escape. It says that the German earns CVP for each good order unit exited off the south edge of the plane area after turn two. Do they also get regular CVP? I assume so. I don't know. So, EG8, Germans in German. We did nine. Taking a look at 10. Boy, BG10 has a fascinating situation here. The Musulmanin Mutiny, which apparently this was a Muslim division, the first ethnic SS division. 1943, battles happening in September, consisting mostly of Bosnian Muslims, large groups of Catholic Croats, and Volksdeutsch, which were ethnic German Yugoslavs. The unit was sent to southern France for training. There were apparently these partisan sympathizers within the ranks that formed a mutiny against this unit they were in, but the rest of the men then turned on them, and they have to escape. So victory condition, the mutineer wins at game end, if they earn CVP plus EVP off any edge. So they're just running anywhere to get away. It has to be more than the CVP earned by the uh, rest of the SS units. So they're using the black SS for the unit. And then the mutineers are using the, the blue German counters. There's a lot of conscripts amongst the SS groups. Mutineers set up 
in this area, SS units are set up around or three hex N1, three hex S5, and some enter turn one on the north edge, and then on the west edge, more enter on turn two, which is like three squad equivalents, but some vehicles, just the armored cars, truck, two armored cars, three armored cars. So still trying to run off those things are running all over the place. Board BG1 and board three, and then two of these mount hills on three are grain, leveling that out a little. Quick five turn scenario. So could be an interesting little chase game. It's interesting. I didn't even know that history. BG11, Just Another Day, designed by Alan Hume. Takes place in February 45, near the end of the war, and the British um, KSOB 44th Infantry Brigade and uh, has entered on turn one on the south edge. They got out ahead of their um, vehicles due to some poor weather and encounter some Germans, the Raber garrison, with 10 British, basically, with a light, a mortar, a piat, and then, again, six, seven squad equivalents of Germans. Germans are second line, British are first line. And the victory conditions, the Germans have got to take building K8, Q5, and Q6, on BG1 board laid out with some hedges, four hedge overlays to kind of mix the board up there for you. That is Alan Humes, BG11, just another day, BG12, all the blue bonnets. Also by Alan Hume, April 45 again. As the advance rolls on through Germany, the British are going to win this one. It's five and a half turns. And BG1 has a couple woods overlays to mix it up. And the British will win a game in if they control buildings Q6, R5, and T4. So here you just have four German squads anywhere on the board. And uh, British, uh, same unit, mostly coming on with six squads. So it's smaller than the last one. Quick play scenario there for us. All the Blue Bonnets by Alan Hume. And the last scenario is BG-13. Yeah, BG-13, One Moon Whipping by Andrew Hershey. It's Korea, South Korea. Getting out board is at 58 with the mountain hill across there. And then BG-1 on the bottom, and it's a five-and-a-half turn. Scenario that has uh, some different units here. Well, it's Korea. So get a chance to break out your Korean units again. And it features the um, Korean People's Army from the north entering on or after turn one along the south edge, coming up toward the mountain, the hill. And that is um, 18, 19 squad equivalents. A couple mediums, a heavy, a light ATR. And the uh, Marines are the ROC, the Republic of Korea Marine units. Kim Seong-un 
deploying freely at setup and setting up concealed, uh, regardless of terrain, including dumbing stacks on board 58, uh, greater than level one, one or greater, with one per hex. So you got to spread out. Kind of, sometimes I don't like that. Sometimes I do. So what are the victory conditions? Well, the KPA wins immediately upon exiting greater than or equal to 22 exit victory points off the north edge. Prisoners do not count double, so not one of those get some prisoner scenarios. Each KPA support weapon exited is worth its portage point value as exit VP. Interesting idea. KPA support weapons and guns count for exit victory points, even if malfunctioned or DM'd. Our trenches, six foxholes, four up there, and minefields set up on that mountain or hill, 458, with a coordinate less than or equal to two, so more off in front of the mountain then. So the special rules are your um, for BJ-13, your Korean War terrain is in effect, except grain is grain and in season instead of, I think it's always rice paddies in Korea. All buildings are wooden, kindlings NA, boar sightings NA. Uh, there's an overlay on board BG-1, uh, provided it's not ambushed, pinned, or withdrawing. The attacker can declare hand-to-hand, -hand, very appropriate. At start, no quarters in effect for both sides. Despite the date and the unit of the South Koreans' units there, it's treated as a Japanese-armed KMC unit. That's rule W3.31, which says it was a Japanese-armed um, unit in, in the um, South Korean forces, which were later retrained and rearmed later on. Um, may set up one squad with a hip, and the KPA can have two human wave attacks, W6.1 rule. The OB given KPA three half squads are treated as fanatic while possessing a functioning medium machine gun, heavy machine gun. And then the fanatic counter can be kept off board because it's a special rule. Um, until the unit, oh, until the unit possessing loses concealment. So nobody knows that it's right there for you. And that's gonna be a fun one. It's only five and a half turns also for all those units in one moon whippy. It's like a great set of scenarios. I'm ready to dive into them. Back to you, Dave and Jeff. Okay, thanks, Dave, for doing that, taking that deep dive. This is a great scenario pack. It's so great, I think we should give it away. What say you? Yes, Jeff, you are most generous person. Yes, thank you. Actually, Broken Ground set, sent an extra one, I think, for us to use as a gift. That's really nice of them. So what do they have to do? Let's see, send did us, we decide? Send us an email saying... Um, you got us covered, or we got you covered? Yeah, I've got you covered. I've got you covered. I just use the word covered in the title, in the subject of the email. Yep. And you'll be entered into the contest to get this very nice scenario pack from Broken Ground Design. And, and while you're waiting for that. What's the deadline for that time? Oh, let's see. That's going to be um, January. January 1st. Sure. Okay. New Year's Day. Yeah, New Year's Day. Easy to remember. So when you're sitting around there with a headache, you know, and you're like, oh, it's the I'm day after. Forgetting, oh, I'm forgetting no, something. Right. I know I'm supposed to remember something. Oh, yes. The Two Half Squads podcast contest for covered. <laughs> yeah, that's a good way to do that. 
No, but and uh, hopefully you win this. And but not everybody can win. And for the people that don't win and are feeling bad, you can go go to Broken Ground Design, Broken Ground Doc, or is it BrokenGround.com? I think it is. I uh, think so. Yeah, I'll take a quick and uh, and buy it. Or you can go to Bounding Fire Productions, who is a sponsor of this show, and hopefully they will continue to be a sponsor of this show. If you haven't been there, go there. If you've been there, go back there because they've got tons of stuff. Uh, they are featuring Operation Neptune, Onslaught to Orsha, Corrigador, Objective Schmidt, all these great scenarios and uh, historical studies and uh, module package, uh, Crucible of Steel, which we're going to hear a lot about in an upcoming episode with Mike Rizzi, who's played through all of the Crucible of Steel. Yes, Blood and are. Jungle, which Dave and I played through years ago. It seems like only yesterday, Dave, but I think it was probably 10 years ago. I think it was COVID. Anyway, go to Broken Ground Design. Look at all their stuff. Buy lots of stuff. You know you want to. And don't listen. Don't ask your kids to get you ASL products. Just go buy them. Okay, so that's it for a show, Dave. Indeed. We got more shows. We got to get this one done so that we can start on the next show. There's plenty to do. Yeah, we've got some really good stuff coming up. More contests. Mm -hmm. It's going to be a good year in 2023. We're looking forward to many hours of ASL excitement. Indeed. And so thanks, everybody, for listening. Remember to roll low. And rally well. But not when you're not playing, when you're playing you know, us. us. All right. Bye-bye, everyone. Bye-bye.